revisiting the, uh, what the Lord spoke to us at the beginning of the year. And uh, so we're going to do that here this morning. Now, we won't get this done today, so next week I'll finish up uh, with that. And then we have a guest coming in, which I'm really excited about. Uh, Tony Cook is coming, which Tony is the uh, taught at Bi- Rama Bible College. He's an awesome Bible teacher. Uh, he's going to come and he's going to be sharing the word with us in a couple of weeks. So we're really excited about having him in as well. But, uh, you know, one of my favorite end time stories is about this young preacher who he's in the pulpit. It's his first sermon. I mean, and he is excited. And he gets up and his text is out of the book of Revelation. And he says in, in the book of Revelation, it says, Behold, I come quickly. And that was what his text was for the message. And so he gets excited, but nobody, kind of like how you guys are just looking at me, nobody responds. Nobody said, oh, amen, you know, so he said it again. Behold, I come quickly, and still no response. And so he, again, behold, I come quickly, and no response again. And so then he got really excited, and he goes, behold, I come quickly. And he turned, and he fell over the pulpit. And landed in the front row on an elderly woman's lap. And he looked at her and he said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. And she said, don't worry about it, son. You gave me plenty of warning. (laughs) Listen, I think there's a great truth to that. And that is, is that Christ gives us plenty of warning about what's happening. And uh, we see the signs of the times, but that is just a warning, preparation. That's what he told us, is that he is coming quickly. There is, his, there is no doubt the Lord is coming back. We don't know the exact day or the time, but we know that the scriptures talk about his return. Um, it will be different. And if you read your Bible, uh, I don't have time to get into it today, but uh, it'll be different than the second coming, which is talked about in the book of Revelation And uh, Chuck did a great job last week talking about that uh, with the book of Revelation. And and, uh, there is a second coming of the Lord with his army. uh, But there's also what's called a catching away of the church, which is talked about in the book of Thessalonians. And that catching away, the Lord does not come to the earth. He comes in the clouds. And that's that's what the angel told the disciples in the book of Acts is he said, as you've seen him go, so shall he return. And uh, so we've been waiting for his return on the clouds. When he comes, he will come. Uh, there will be a trumpet sound. The dead in Christ will rise first. All those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the air. And we will be together with him and everyone there for all eternity. And so that's what we have. That's the hope that we have to look forward to um, if we're living at that time uh, when the when the Lord returns, and so it's a it's a great powerful image. But I think the Lord tells us very clearly in Scripture that the day should not catch us unaware. We won't be like walking around blindly, not knowing what's going on. We'll see the signs of things happening, things that are going on. But what the Lord wants us to focus on is on His divine purpose, and to, that we're staying active with what He wants done not worrying about when is he coming back or when is he going to do whatever he said he was going to do. So the word the Lord gave us at the beginning of the year was out of Isaiah 43. And uh, so if you have your Bible, I ask you to turn there with me. Uh, or you can go there in your iPad or tablet or whatever, telephone. 
But uh, we had five declarations, and I'm only going to get to a couple of these today, but there are five things that the Lord spoke to us out of this particular passage. And the, the first one was that in verse 15 where the Lord says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. You know, it's interesting because, you know, I don't know if you've ever, uh, ever said this when you had kids at home, but you look at them and say, I am the parent, you are the child, okay? You are not the parent here. I think that's what God's saying in this verse to us is that, look, I'm in charge. So stop trying to think like you're in charge or that the devil's in charge. I am the creator, he's saying, of Israel. I am your king. I am the Lord. I am your holy one. And so the first declaration we looked at with this verse was is that God is saying to us, I've got this. I'm in, I'm, I'm okay. It's going to be okay. I've got this. I know it doesn't look like all the time like God's got this, but he knows what he's doing, okay? Uh, he has a plan. This is not a random, these are not random acts of God in the earth. God has a plan. Everybody say that with me. God has a plan. And uh, I don't always completely understand how God is doing things, but I know that his ultimate plan is that everybody hears the gospel in the world, that all nations, all ethnic groups hear the gospel in the world and have an opportunity to receive Christ, and then the Lord will come. So his, his end game with all of this is, is that all men would have the opportunity, all men and women, every nation, every ethnos would have the opportunity to receive Christ, to receive the gospel. Verse 16 says, Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, that God is saying to us, Look, I want you to know I've done this before. I've done miraculous things before. So don't worry about what needs to happen because I'm more than capable. Not only have I got this, but I've, I've really, I've been around for a while. And I know that sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? That God would say, I've been around for a while. But he really wants you to know he's been around for a while, okay? Way longer than you. And he knows way more than you do. And he knows what he's doing, and he knows how to deal with stuff. And when you think things, you know, it's really interesting if you read the Old Testament and you go through the prophets, and it, it will appear at times like something that's so bad is happening in society, but yet there is something so powerful happening behind the scenes that you don't know anything about because you only see what's happening in society. God always has a remnant. He, he said, look, and even in the darkest most difficult things that happen, I always have a remnant of people. There are always things. And we're, in a lot of ways, we, we, we kind of, even in the church, we can look like, you know, we can look like Elijah did up on the mountain. I mean, he comes out of the cave and, man, he's, he's looking for God in the whirlwind and he's looking for God in the fire and the lightning and he's looking for God. I mean, he's like, where is God? And then God talks to him in a still, small voice. God did not show up like he thought he should show up. His expectation was, and you know, when you're looking, when you're looking for God to do something in the wrong places, you're going to miss what he's really trying to do. And so God speaks and he says, he talks to him in a still small voice. And Elijah, you know, says to God, he says, I'm the only one that's doing the right thing. And God said, look, man. You don't know about all these prophets that are out there that are hidden that I've already got prepared to do what I want to do in this day. 
That's how God works. It's not, you don't know everything, you don't see everything. God knows everything, he sees everything. And he's got a plan. Life is not happening, ran, happening randomly. It's happening because God has divinely intended for an end plan, and that is that everyone could receive, have the opportunity to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God's saying to us, look, I've been here before. I've done this before. He said, I know how to make a way in the sea. I know how to make a path through mighty waters. I led the Israel. I led you guys. He's actually talking to the Israelites. I led you guys out of Egypt. I can do this again. I'm, I'm, an, I'm, I'm powerful. Don't, don't worry about it. I've been here before. Number three is, is in verse 18. He said, don't remember the former things, nor the consider the things of old. So don't worry about what has happened. Don't focus on where you've been. Focus on where you're going. So what he's saying here in, ver in this verse 18 to us is, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do something great again. Don't remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Don't let those be your, in your thinking that the best is behind you, okay? I think that's something that happens in life, especially the older that we get. We start thinking that our best days are behind us, like physically, mentally, you know. But listen, please hear me. Your best days are ahead of you. Don't be blinded by what everybody's telling you. I mean, you know, I, people, people are like, well, you know, when you get older, you can't do the things you did when you were younger. I just watched an 86-year-old man, 86. Anybody here 86? You're 86? 88, okay. 86-year-old man do 15 chin-ups. And he did some one-handed. All right? You know how many people probably told him in his life you can't do that? Probably everybody. But see, here's what happens. See, we start buying into some kind of stupid narrative that as we grow older, we're going to be weaker, we're going to be more tired, our brain isn't going to work as well, you know, and people joke about I got part-timers, all-timers, you know, all that. I don't joke about any of that stuff because here's why I don't joke about it. Because life and death is in the power of the tongue. And they that love its fruit will eat it. So you're going to eat the fruit that you're putting out of your mouth? So I wouldn't be talking about anything like that. I wouldn't talk about becoming more frail, more weak. I would be talking about being stronger. Let the weak, the Bible says, say, I am strong. So don't allow yourself to fall into that. That's all stuff that society says. Well, pastor, it's a proven thing that when you get older, you know, certain things... Right, there are certain things that do change, but you're not dead. So live. Live while you're alive, amen? Have something to look forward to every day. I mean, I have people all the time, when are you retiring? When are you retiring? You know, I'm 63. When are you retiring? I said, never. <laughs> yeah, but don't you want to retire? No. Why? Well, you mean you want to work all your life? Look, I, I'm passionate about what I do. My passion doesn't end at 65. It might change. I may not be the pastor here forever, but here's the thing. I'll be passionate about still helping people and loving people and doing things. It's never, you know, look, 
you can, it, I think in our lives we, we start thinking, oh man, I'm going to get to retirement, I'm going to have all this money and then I'll just be able to, I don't want the most important thing I ever do, do every day is to decide where I'm going to golf and what I'm having for lunch. Can I get a better amen? No, man, I want to live. I want to have something exciting to get up. I, I, don't want an, I don't need an alarm clock. My passion wakes me up every day. Every single, I have no alarm. My wife will tell you, I do not set an alarm. I wake up. Because I got things to do, places to go, people to see. And I'm going to be that way until I'm gone. Amen? And I'm going to sit around and just be like, well, I'm just waiting to die. I'm not waiting to die. Glory to God. I know this is helping somebody here today. But it, it's very, it's very, the, the, one of the things is, is that if you don't watch out, you know, this is what God's telling these Israelites. Don't remember the former things, consider the things of old. Don't live in your past thinking that was the best that you could have had. Think about this. In your life, that your days ahead of you could be better than your days behind you. One, I hope to God you're smarter than you were before. Right? I hope you're smarter. You know, that you learned something through all the experiences you've been through. And, you know, <laughs> how many of you think you've learned something? I've learned a lot. Man, I learned a lot. He said, don't remember it. Don't consider it. Don't allow yourself to be stuck in your past. Sentiment erodes significance. And this is really important. Sentiment erodes significance. And what happens is, is what we become sentimental about can erode our significance for today and tomorrow. That we live in our past, basically. You know, and that can happen. That song we were singing is so powerful, Graves to Garden, because, you know, it, it, look, God did not have a plan for you in your life to carry your grave around with you. All that stuff's dead, okay? You know, your sins and your failures and, you know, all the screw-ups that you've done. In your, he didn't call you the rest of your life to be chained to any of that, shackled to it. He called you to be completely free from it. Now, it doesn't want to be free from you because it thrives off of you. It's like, a, it's like a leech. It lives off of your life. And so the only way to, to stop it is to sever it, to say, I, I'm not going to live that way. I'm not that person anymore. I'm a different, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. But sentiment can erode significance in our lives because it can keep pushing us towards the back. It can keep moving us towards past things. Look, I don't want to talk about just miracles that have happened. I want to talk about the miracles that are happening and that I'm believing for in the future to take place. Your battle in your life will be between what you... Now, this is really important. Your battle in your life will be between what you believe and what you know. What you believe and what you know. When they are different, you will be in a conflict. So what you know is what you're experiencing in your life, okay? What you're going through right now. Folks have been going through stuff financially. Folks go through stuff relationally. Folks go through things with their health. These are things that you know, you're familiar with, right? You live that life. You, you get that. You, you might be in a difficult marriage right now. You understand that you, because you're living all of that. That's what you 
No, also your past is what you know. Every memory that we have is a piece of knowledge with an emotion attached to it. So it's something that we've been through, but it's not just something, it's got emotion to it, right? So if I bring up, you know, the birth of your child, for those of you that, you know, that went through that process, what do you, you don't just like go, yeah, yeah I had a baby. No, you like, oh, and then I held the baby and they put the baby on my chest and I got to cut the cord. You know, it's all this emotion, right, that goes with it. And it, I'm just using that as one example, but it's all the things. See, those thoughts are tied to emotion. You know, when my grandma passed away, she was the first one I dealt with in our family that passed away. Man, I had so many memories flooding. All those were thoughts of, you know, Christmas and Easter baskets and all the really cool stuff. And she used to, when I was younger, when I'd go to grandma's house, she'd say, Rick, what do you want for breakfast? I'd say bacon and eggs. She would make me a whole pound of bacon. A whole pound. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She would make me a pound of bacon and four eggs and toast. And if I wanted frosted flakes, you know, Tony Tiger frosted flakes, she'd put that out too. She would give me whatever. And when she, when she passed away, I was heartbroken. And I stayed heartbroken for a while because my memories were eroding my significance. Now, I've never forgot my grandmother, and I am grateful for my grandmother and all that she did. But, but here's the thing. I can't live and allow that sentiment to erode my significance. That I live my life in a constant state of grief and sadness. One, my grandmother would not want me to live that way, right? She wouldn't want me to leave, live my life all sad, depressed, and, 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 and no longer joyful about life. She would want me to go on with living. And just like I would want my kids and my grandkids the day when I'm gone, I'd keep living, man. You know, I'm gone. I'm okay. I'm in a good place. Don't worry about me. I'm all right. You guys are the ones that still got to deal with this crazy world, not me, right? So you see, you, can't, you have to be careful with this because what happens is we get in this battle with what we know and what we believe. There are lots of things. I'm not particularly bringing up things for you. But there are plenty of things you believe, but maybe your knowledge is talking against it or your life doesn't match up with it, okay? And so what happens in that is they call that in psychology, they call it cognitive dissonance. And what that is is that what your knowledge is is in confusion. It's a confusion because your life is not playing out the way you're believing for it to play out, okay? So you're still, you know, you want to eat better, but you're not eating better, right? You're, you want to exercise, but you're not exercising. And we might think, well, that's no big deal, but it is a big deal because you're in a disagreement in your own thinking process. Let me tell you why this gets so important. And we'll be dealing with a lot of this stuff on Wednesday nights when we teach, but, but what the problem with this is that a double-minded individual becomes unstable in all their ways, okay? So when you're in a cog state of cognitive dissonance and your knowledge to your belief are not matching up, they're not the same, 
what ends up happening is in our lives is, is that we begin to get into this state of being double-minded, two-minded. We're thinking two different ways. And so what ends up happening is it creates instability in all the areas of our lives eventually. So it erodes away significance, and that's why we have to deal with it. It's such a powerful thing to know that God says to us, do not worry, don't focus on your past. Don't think about what I've done, think about what I'm about to do. What are you expecting God to do in your life? What are you believing for? Where have you set your anchor right now to where you want, you know, your, your course, your map? Where are you wanting to go? What's this year going to finish out as? You know, one of the things we talk about in this passage that he says, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a new thing. It's going to spring forth. You'll know it. I'll make a road in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. We talked about how that, that means that, you know, roads were ways of transportation to get you to places. Um, rivers were always used to bring things to people. They were used as a, a modes of bringing material things that we talked about how that roads and rivers are a representation of new vision and new provision. Because where God gives you vision, there will always be provision. Provision. Now see, the, the real challenge for us, like it's, I've got to be careful, I don't want to get too far off this, but the real challenge for us is, is that we want provision before vision. Your provision will match the vision that you establish for your life. Believe big, you'll have big. Believe small, you'll live small. When I was, when I was trying to break out of poverty in my life, I had, the problem wasn't my income. The problem was my belief. My belief was is that because I had grown up poor, I couldn't make a lot of money. I felt guilty about having a lot of money. I felt guilty about having nice stuff. I would hide from people if I had nice stuff. I mean, I know you probably think that's stupid. It is stupid. But understand that when poverty creates a mindset in your life that you are ashamed of having good things, you, don't, you either end up ashamed or prideful about it. And both are just as evil and wicked. They'll bind you up. So, you know, I would be, I, I couldn't keep things in my life because I'd give them away because I didn't, because I couldn't, I didn't feel like, I wasn't a magnet drawing things. I was a magnet repelling things. And I'd get blessed and I'd say to people, people would come up and say, the Lord told me, you know, I had to give you $100. And I'd go, you don't have to do that. And people would say to me, yes, I do. God told me to do that. Why does anybody say when someone's trying to bless them, you don't have to do that? You do have to do that. You better do that. If God's telling you to do, do that. I mean, you don't just sit. But see, I would repel it. I would push it away because of my mindset was I don't deserve to live any better than the way I'm living right now. My family was poor, I was raised poor, I'm always going to be poor. You have to break that mindset in your life. 
You have to overcome that. You have to, you have to, you have to defeat that in your life because that's a former way. A truly wealthy person has a lot of wealth and doesn't act like it. Uh, that's just a proven fact. There are a whole bunch of millionaires that live around us that you don't even know about because they don't act like it, because they're happy with what they got, but they're not out looking to buy the latest caddy and doing... Because they don't base their status off of cars and clothes. Yeah, cars and clothes. Cars and clothes are just an outward expression. So I had to break that in my life. How do you break that? Through the power of the Word of God that you realize that God says this about you, that you realize that what God has said in His Word is the truth. What you're going through right now in your life, this is such a valuable lesson that I'm going to have to stop, but uh, what you're going through in your life right now, and we'll deal with this on Wednesday for those of you that can come back, um, is true what's happening in your life right now. Where you are right now is is what you're dealing with as your true narrative of your life, whatever that is. It could be illness. It could be, it could be okay health. It could be broke financially. It's all true. That is true. Nobody's denying that. But here's what has to happen. To change what is true, we have to have a truth that comes from God. When we have the truth, the, Jesus told us the truth will make us free. Okay? Everything true does not make you free. But the truth does. The truth will make you free. So we need a truth that overrides what is true. So you go to the doctor and he says, you got this life-threatening disease. Now look, that's true. Nobody's, you know, we're not like you know, we're not like that group of Christian scientist people that run around going, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. God never tells us to say anything like that. But what we do is we turn to Matthew 8, 17 that says, He bore my sicknesses and carried away my diseases. He was wounded, according to Isaiah 53, 5, for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities, the chastisement.
this is that, look, you'll never get out of where you are right now if your sentiment. It's like in church, we, we do this sometimes. We, we talk about, oh, I want to talk to you about a revival that happened. Oh, this was so awesome. People were, I've had people do it. They oh, you should have seen it, Pastor. They worship. Oh, oh, it was so awesome. I mean, it was like, it was like liquid love in the building. People were coming to the altar and powerful things were happening and miracles and demonstrations. And oh, it was so great. It was so awesome. Okay. What's God doing today? Is he the same God as he was yesterday? Uh, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, is he the same God today as he was yesterday? Is he going to be the same God? Well, yeah, right? So that's the truth. All right? So why don't we have those things happening? It's because what we're holding to what is true instead of to what is truth. Because when we hold to what is true, we're bringing our own little stories to church with us instead of God's story. We're bringing our own big wad of problems that we deal with in our life, our, diff, you know, our kids, our money, our marriage, our, you know, down the line, all the stuff, and we bring it all with us, and we're just carrying all this incredible baggage with us, and we're not allowing the truth to make us free. The truth, what is true does not make you free, it binds you up. when we come to church and the worship leader says, let's all lift our hands. And we're like, I don't feel like lifting my hands right now. You don't know the troubles I've got going on, the problems I've got in my life. And the, he says, let's sing this song. This is really powerful. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me. With, does anybody know this song? With his redeeming blood. He loved me or I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me. Well, I don't feel like I'm in victory. Well, that's your problem. You're living in your feelings. Get out of your feelings that are attached to what is true and get over into faith, which is attached to God. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you today for the power of your word, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you are a transforming God, that you bring us, Lord, from victory to victory, from glory to glory, that your anointing destroys every yoke of bondage, Lord God. Look, I want to ask you right now while heads are bowed. If you, if, listen, if you're going through a, a difficult time in your life right now, and I, and I get that, I've been through all kinds. I would be lying to you if I told you I didn't go through difficulty. But I am grateful for the people that I have around me that pray for me, that, that lift up my hands and encourage me. And if you're struggling today, whether I, we know you here or not, and you're just going through, this is just, you know, the world stuff, the, the true stuff that's out there is bugging you and uh, has worn you out, and you're just discouraged, I'd like you to lift a hand up and just say, that's me, that's me. Go ahead, come on, just lift a hand all over the building. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, Father, Chuck, go ahead and grab your mic. Father, I thank you. God, you saw every one of those hands. Lord, uh, 
Father, I just pray today in the name of Jesus for freedom, deliverance. This, uh, this foul, evil fear, this manipulative fear, Lord God, that is trying to grip the hearts of men and women, uh, making them afraid of go growing old, making them afraid of life, making them afraid of losing everything, the fear of loss, fear of death, Lord God, fear of failure. In Jesus' name, as Chuck prayed earlier, Lord, I disagree. We have a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. And Lord God, we take authority over that. In our own lives, Lord God, we take authority over that. We refuse. We realize there is a better way. And we refuse to allow some narrative to control and manipulate our lives away from the truth of what you have said that we could have in our lives. And I thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name over every one of those that lifted their hand. Chuck?